Kim Grinnells of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, another edition of Dogman Radio. And uh, we're going to start doing these a little bit more often. The off-season sometimes gets a little bit tough, but every time we think it's going to slow down, there always seems to be something popping up. Uh, you know, with a commitment yesterday, a little bit going on in recruiting, JT to him, allow taking visits. The stuff going on down at Arizona State and all of that stuff. But uh, just to kind of start off, I had a uh, text exchange with Jen Cohen trying to set something up with Jen yesterday about coming on, doing another podcast. She wants to do that. We'll probably do something with her in early July. She actually had dinner with the new commissioner, George. Oh, God, I'm going to butcher that. On. Is it Kleofkoff? Is that how you say it, Chris? Yeah, Kleofkoff. Yeah. Yeah. George Kleofkoff, she had dinner with him last night with a lot of the athletic directors, and I told her the biggest scandal was that the pictures that she was taken, uh, had taken with everybody, she was wearing green, and she said she just was flying out the door packing, and she just grabbed something, a sundress, and she didn't even realize it was green, so she wanted to apologize to all Husky fans for wearing green in the picture and promised it will never happen again. So anyways, that's what's going on with Jen Cohen. She's back at the college baseball world series. So we'll get together with Jen, uh, first of January and go over a lot of stuff. So looking forward to that, but kind of yesterday and kind of, we had some prep, a lot of breaking news on the Arizona state football team with Herm Edwards. He passed the compliance test and evidently he seems that's, all he needed to do, Chris, was, I passed. I'm all good. But, boy, some of the allegations came out against Arizona State are pretty devastating. Yeah, what I don't understand is that, you know, this was all happening in the fall. And, you know, it's bad enough to just, you know, kind of blatantly disrespect or break the rules, which is one thing. And that's fine. I mean, everyone, there are going to be people out there that just say, well, it happens every weekend in the SEC and the Big Ten and everywhere else. And that's fine. I get it. So on the one hand, it's, I'm not going to act naive and say, oh, this is horrible. They should be, you know, they should be punished to the fullest extent and all that. That, that's great. Whatever the NCAA will deal with that. I, I just find it pretty distasteful that all this stuff was going on in a situation where Washington, for instance, only got to play four games because they were in the middle of a pandemic. It's not like ASU was in a, a physical bubble. You know, it wasn't like ASU was in a situation where they weren't going to be putting kids and, and and their families at risk just because they wanted to host them on a recruiting visit. See, that well, to me is a little different. I, I just that to me just rubs me the the wrong way at that particular time. Now, well, how many games did Arizona? How many did Arizona? How many games did Arizona State miss? Because well, yeah, they, they were, missed like I don't want to say they missed the first handful of games. I can't remember if it was how many it was, but they you know they were suffering as much as anyone because of it. And and if they were you know if they were doing all this stuff. You know, especially in weekends where they weren't even playing a game. I mean, it's like because I mean, because they had positive tests, yet they're having recruits on campus. Yeah, it just it, to me, it just is it's nuts. I mean, I don't understand where uh, I, I can see again where if they just have an issue with the NCAA rules and they just were going to flaunt those and deal with that, that's great. I don't have a problem with that. They're going to be punished accordingly for doing that stuff. But to to do it in a situation where you can't even play in a game because you're in the middle of a worldwide pandemic and there's a virus going around that's killing people, I I just don't understand how you justify that morally, let alone breaking a, an NCAA rule. Who gives a crap about an NCAA rule at the end of the day? We're talking about 
you know, you're not talking just, about infecting lives, you know, people and lives here. That's nuts. You you don't justify it. You just don't care. <laughs> I, think, I guess, I, I, but I, I don't. Guess. I don't understand if you're a if you're a a prospect or a prospect's parents and stuff. How you maybe think about? Well, why isn't anyone else in the Pac-12 doing it? Why is Arizona State the only one that's willing to host us? Yet we've asked it. You know. Arizona or we've asked USC or we've asked Colorado and they said, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, Scott, you, you follow recruiting. I mean, have you heard anything? About, I, I mean, I've been hearing since Herm Edwards got there that Herm was an NFL guy and he was just kind of being the helicopter up above watching everything else. And, you know, Antonio Pierce, who seems to be the guy with the target on his chest on this, but, uh, you know, they were being pretty aggressive down there and, uh, Herm was just kind of turning a blind eye to a lot of stuff that was going on down there. So, uh, you know, what do you know about Antonio Pierce? Well, I know that he's gotten them in on a lot of kids that Arizona State never really was getting in with. And, um, <clears throat> they've done a really good job of recruiting and selling that place, but, is that because they up their game as far as kind of some of the shady stuff that could go on? I don't know. Um, there were some rumors. Uh, there were a lot of chuckles and, you know, elbow nudges and things like that about stuff going on. And, I mean, in the long run, you know, sometimes these schools are just going to say, hey, it, it's worth it to to push the limits as much as we can. And, and if we get caught, we get a slap on the wrist, but in the long term, our benefit is just unbelievable. And that's how Oregon lived their life. Um, for a long time, they pushed the envelope, uh, quite a bit, still kind of do. And, um, you know, if they get caught, they'll probably get a little slap on the wrist and move on. Just like, you know, that the fact that we've seen Oregon duck, uh, former Oregon duck guys on, you know, and that are in the media, making a big stink about this i'm just like oh boy that that sure sounds like what a lot of things people were claiming that oregon was doing back in the day um you know i i don't know i a lot of this stuff i just i until something really comes out and and they actually get a punishment i i guess i just kind of roll my eyes at it because i'm just like big deal It, it it nothing ever seems to come of it the ncaa has lost its teeth when it comes to this kind of stuff and and no schools really pay that heavy of a price. Yeah, I, I mean, we hear about, we hear rumors all the time about funny stuff going on. We hear about it all the time. And, you know, the, it seems like the guys that, um, do quite a bit of it, uh, that skirt the rules a lot more tend to be the private schools because they're not subject to the Freedom of Information Act. But, you know, it, Chris, what we started in 1997, I think you joined us in 99, but, um, it's been going on since we started, right? I don't know. I'm just when I think of the whole ASU thing, I'm just thinking it's just I just go back to the very first day that that Herm Edwards was hired from Ray Anderson. And, you know, Ray Anderson's a former agent. Ray Anderson met Herm Edwards in the NFL and they and they had a long-standing relationship in the NFL. So when he hired Herm Edwards, the skepticism was from the media that followed college football was that well, how are all these NFL guys going to fit into this college football scheme? Well, now we know. They didn't plan on fitting into the college football scheme. They just simply wanted to run an NFL program in Tempe. It's as simple as that. Yeah, before we move on, just one other quick note. You know, for the last several years, the um, two people who've had the most influence on the conference with Larry Scott, the two guys that, uh, you know, probably the most influential uh, president 
in the Pac-12 was um, Michael Crow, the president of Arizona State. He was on the hiring committee. He was one of the ones who was real influential in hiring Larry Scott. He was uh, probably Larry Scott's biggest ally. So with this news breaking and Larry Scott out the door, timing's a little bit interesting. So we will see how it all plays out. But from all indications, it sounds like, uh, I mean, from what I've seen and what I've read, it's going to be tough for Herm, um, Herm to keep his job for the upcoming season. So we'll see what happens on that. But definitely something um to keep an eye on Scott yesterday hold on Kim real quick the the connection between all this and Larry Scott this is going to be the last thing that Larry Scott's known for because we know this thing's going to go on for a very long time and until this point it was basically like kind of the collective blunders with football you know the 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 stuff in terms of the review process and having guys in the booths that weren't supposed to be there and 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 his lavish lifestyle and having a place in San Francisco in the middle of downtown that was an exorbitant rental rate when they could have done something obviously a lot cheaper there's there's all these things that Larry Scott's can be known for but absolutely the timing of him leaving now when this is just coming out of course he's going to be connected to this. He has to be connected to this because he made it his kind of his, his bailiwick, so to speak. He, he made it so that he knew everything about everything that was going on. He ran point on all the major stuff that came out. That's why he created so much criticism for himself with all the testing processes that came out, right? Remember when all the ADs were oh, like, yeah. we didn't even hear about this yeah. for like two full weeks because he was the one that was running point on all this stuff. And he was the one that was going to be announcing the big news and stuff. Well, they announced it too late. And all of a sudden there was like weeks where they could have done something. Right. So Larry Scott absolutely knew about this. 100%. I'd bet every, my bottom dollar on it. It's kind of interesting that, you know, when's Larry's last day? Is it the end of the month? I believe that's true. Yeah. I thought it was June 30th, but it might be June or, yeah. Yeah, I think it's something like that. Yeah, I think it's the end of this month, if I remember yeah. right. Well, I know he's still heavily involved in running things in the conference, which is kind of I don't it's, I don't know that Klyovkov has actually started or if his start day is July first, but um, I know that um, you know there was a well, meeting. Obviously, with, they got together in Vegas, so I mean, they, he, they're, yeah. they're, the transition is clearly ongoing. But what I would say is, if I was in Jed Cohen's shoes, for instance, or if I was in the shoes of you know someone else that wasn't Ray Anderson, the athletic director for Arizona State, I'd be like, "Hold on, Larry, you're, you're not leaving so fast. Let's talk. Let's find out what you knew." Because yeah. I would be very curious about that. I'd just be happy if Larry was to just clear out his office and go away today. I'd be fine with that. Just uh, don't don't let him get his fingers in anything else, please. It's okay. No, it's not a matter of it's a matter of where his fingers have already been. <laughs> yeah, we'll see where we'll see where it's been and uh, where he winds up. But hey, do you guys want to uh, jump into the college playoff thing a little bit? I don't want to go down a, a long rabbit hole on that, but it sure sounds like you know twelve teams, and um, I think it's good for the Pac-12. I think it's good for college football, and uh, I just wish it was starting sooner than 2023. Well, I, I mean, we're lucky that it's that quickly, Kim. I mean, the, the current contracts that they have are through 2025. And so they're actually accelerating it 
a lot faster than other people thought they were going to accelerate. But, um, you know, I, I remember reading the John Wilner thing that the PAC 12 stands to triple their, uh, funding from the, you know, the, their, uh, revenue from the playoffs. And what I'm wondering is, okay, so if they're tripling from nine to 27 million per school, what's the SEC big 12, big 10 getting? I mean, well, it's, it's an equal share from what I understand, depending on the schools that are, you get more, the more schools you have. Okay. In, but, so but it doesn't matter. I mean, it's really not going to give the PAC 12 other than bringing in more revenue for them to spend. It's really not going to give them a leg up on another conference is what I'm saying. Well, if the PAC 12 has two schools in the field of 12, it would. If the SEC has two or four. three schools, you know, so or four. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of it's going to be dependent upon, you know, the schools in there. I know that um, a lot of it's split throughout the conference as well. You know, with the way the bowl works, you know, for football, I know it goes directly to the conference, but I know that the conference greatly benefited and Washington greatly benefited on the basketball tournament with the way they divvy that up with the Pac-12 schools doing so well in the tournament. Uh, there was a lot more money uh, coming for basketball to the conference and that really helped this year. So I think those are all the things where that might be one of the reasons why it might take a little bit longer is not only figuring out how the process will work, but how that pie is divided up as well. Well, when it comes to the revenue and how it's divvied up between the conferences and whatnot, there's only one thing that's going to allow the conferences like the Pac-12 and the Big 12 to start rivaling the big stacks in this group. We're talking about the SEC and the Big 10, and that's winning. You have to win, and you have to win those games. You have to win those high-profile non-conference games, like when Oregon's playing Ohio State, Washington's playing Michigan, what have you. You've got to win those games. You've got to up your your national profile, and then you've got to win your bowl games, and you've got to win your playoff games. You've got to get into the championship game. You've got to do something to alter the balance of power, and the only way you can do that is by winning. Because ultimately, when it comes down to it, when when the Pac-12 is making more money, those other conferences are going to be making more money too. It's just that simple. They're not they're not going to be losing money at the expense of the Pac-12 making more money. Because when that comes down to it, guys, you have to win on the field in order to cash those bigger paychecks. It's just that's when it comes to college football nowadays, it's just that simple. Because I, I agreed with Jimmy Lake that I really like that six uh, team player, uh, a playoff format the best because it still made it a tough ticket, but yet you still included the number of teams that you needed to, to really kind of get the spread that you would want. And, you know, Washington, I mean, the, the Pac-12 had to give up a little bit of something to be able to get a guaranteed berth. I mean, it's just that simple. They, they don't have a lot of negotiating leverage in these things. So, you know, I'm not surprised that the, the Big Ten and the SEC are going to be making a lot more money than the Pac-12. But for the Pac-12 to triple their revenue right away, I, I don't see where they're in a position to say no to that. I just think it levels the playing field quite a bit more and also just – I think it's really good for college football because when you've got the same, you know, four teams every year, the same six teams, because it seems like it's heavily dominated by those teams. And one of the things that's really intriguing about the basketball tournament is, you know, you've got 64 teams going in there and everybody's got a shot. And it creates a lot of interest those first couple of weeks because you know you've got a shot. And if you, you know, in college football, 
you pretty much got to the point where if you lost a game, you're out. You know, so um, especially in the Pac-12 with the bad officiating, but um, I just think it just creates a lot more of a level playing field, and I think it's really going to help recruiting, you know, in on the West Coast quite a bit, having more profile. I've got to imagine that they'll have a spot every year in that playoff. Um, they should anyways, but, uh, we'll see how it plays out. But uh, I, I think what, I think one thing, Kim, that, that, that's got to happen is that we saw this last spring with the, with March Madness, we saw a team like UCLA get into a playoff game or a play in game, get all the way to the final four. I mean, that's like, this is, that's the NCAA wet dream, right? That's for, for, you know, of course it was, it was UCLA. It wasn't like the, the plucky under, it wasn't Loyola of Chicago, for instance, but it was a situation where you saw a team do exactly what you're talking about. Everyone's got a chance to win and you literally go from a playing game to the final four. I mean, that's, that's crazy. That's ridiculous. What has to happen in this new playoff format is you have to have one of those Eight or one of those nine through twelve teams get all the way to the championship game for it to really be for the NCAA to say, "Look, we're doing it right now. Look at this: the number ten ranked team in our playoff got all the way to the title game. That's what it's supposed to be. And that's if they want it to look like March Madness, that's what has to happen because ultimately you're turning it then into who is playing the best at the end of the season." like you're doing in basketball, because as it stands right now, and you just mentioned it, you've got Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson, and then it's the rest of the world. Well, someone like Washington has to get in there. Someone like Oregon has to get in there. Even someone like USC has to get in there. And if they're ranked 11th in the in the playoff tournament and make it all the way to the final, that that's how you change the balance of power in these things. Hey, Scott, moving on to recruiting, kind of caught us off guard a little bit yesterday. We see a woof by Jimmy Lake, and we've got a pretty good pulse of what's going on. I know you've always got a couple stories in the can, you know, on anticipated commitments, but uh, it's always interesting when we get sent scrambling like, okay, who is that? I think the last one we really got thrown one by was uh, Ciose uh, Finale last year, and everybody was uh, sent scrambling. But the commit yesterday sent us scrambling a little bit yesterday. Yeah, Devon Banks, a defensive back out of San Jacinto High School down in California, uh, six foot, 180 pounds. And if you watch his film, man, the guy can jump, he can run, he plays physical. I, the fact that this guy goes unnoticed, you got to start questioning why was he unnoticed? Well, then you hear about the fact that he had a injury before his, a knee injury before his junior season that cost him his junior season. And then just as he was getting back healthy, the pandemic hits, and so he doesn't get a chance to go out to camps, doesn't get a chance to go through spring ball or fall camp or anything like that when all these schools are starting to realize what their what their classes are going to look like. And then he gets all the way past December and that first signing day, the early signing day. Then he gets to February, still nothing, and the reason is because California delays their – football season until the spring, just like the state of Washington did. And so he doesn't get a chance to really get out and show everybody what he can do. And so Washington had maintained contact with him. When he was a sophomore, he was contacted by almost the entire Pac-12, as well as some Big Ten and Big 12 schools. 
and uh, everybody was sending him stuff. And then everything dried up when he got hurt as a junior. And so, you know, but Washington keeps in contact with him. Will Harris continues to keep in contact with him, talks to him, just goes through the process with him. They they find out he's 100%. They really liked him before he got hurt. He uh, They say, hey, we need you to come out to camp so we can make sure you're 100% ready to go. He comes out, performs well. They offer him a camp. And I, it, it, if you read my story, you saw that he said basically they didn't even get the full verbiage out that you have an offer from us for him to say yes. I'm committing. Hey, so hey Scott, hey, Scott, just to be clear, for those who haven't don't read the site and are just listening to the podcast, this kid's not, you know, when we're talking a lot of recruiting on the site, we're talking about kids that are juniors and still have their senior year to go. Mm-hmm. This kid's a senior. He committed, what, a couple of days ago? And he's just leaving. No, gonna he, be up on- he committed yesterday. And and then he, so he will be here, when, Friday? Tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. He committed yesterday. He's going to be here on Friday, check into the dorms, be in the elite program, and he'll be here for fall football. Yeah. I mean, it's the, and someone actually ran it down pretty well on our message boards and said the roller coaster this kid has probably gone on from a, from an emotional standpoint over the last 18 months. You got to just wonder where, you know, what kind of a roller coaster he's been on, but he gets offered by Washington, snaps it up. And I think you're going to see a hungry kid come in. I don't know if he's going to come in and push for playing time right away. I don't, I, you know, that I have, I have a hard time seeing that with considering what Washington's got on the, on the field right now. But man, I mean, he's, he could be a real steal. He could be another Marcus Peters down the road. He plays that kind of a game. I think it's going to be really interesting because we've seen this happen with Washington offering guys and getting commitments. And then all of a sudden the offer starts. Coming in like Mark Naboo from O'Day, you know, Washington offered and committed to Washington and all of a sudden he's got offers from what Texas and Michigan and a handful of others. But what do you think the reaction was with some of these other coaches in the Pac-12 when they saw he committed to Washington yesterday? Do you think it opened some eyes real quick? Uh, maybe, I think they maybe, might, he got, I, maybe he got some phone calls. No, I don't think he got any phone calls. I think some of them were chuckling. They're like, why wouldn't they, they try to get him as a walk on and then, and then give him a scholarship. But, you know, I think Washington wanted to honor this kid and his efforts to get back. And I think they believe that he was going to earn one anyway. So why not get him on when we can get him? So I, I, you know, some of them might chuckle at that, but they're the ones who are not, who are going to be regretting the fact that they didn't get him. Greg Biggins. If he turns in. Greg Biggins, who, you know, man, I, I think he's one of the best in the business. He's been around a long time and, uh, I think he's got a fabulous reputation, but boy, he even chimed in on the message board. But, uh, you know, tell people a little bit about, uh, Greg's reaction to the commitment. Well, Greg just said, you know, loved him when he was a sophomore, but haven't seen him in a year and a half because he's been injured because they haven't had caps because they haven't been able to do anything. And so. You know, this is a kid who, who just flew so far under the radar, but Greg believes that he would have been a four-star kid had he been able to go through the process and stay healthy. So, um, Washington's getting a very talented kid, six foot, 180 pounds, over a 40 inch vertical and ran a 10, seven, 800 meters this, uh, this spring. Six, so, six high jump. Yeah. Six, six high jump too. So when, yeah. Ta- well, the other thing. The other thing Greg said, he didn't expect them to flash on film as much as he did, and he was kind of surprised that he jumped out like that. And I mean, Greg almost admitted, you know, we kind of missed on him a little bit. But the other thing is, you know, you can do all the short stuff, but he's a pretty physical kid as well. 
Yes, absolutely is. And that's one of the reasons why Washington's staff offered him was because of his physicality and the fact that he loves to come up and hit guys and be physical in the run game and be physical with wide receivers. He reroutes really, really well. And that's one of the things that I've heard that the coaches really seem to like about him. So, um, no, I, I think the potential is off the charts for this kid. It's just going to be fun kind of seeing what he looks like in fall camp. Chris, you brought up a comparison to a kid that Washington took a flyer on. It didn't work out because he continued to have injuries. But, you know, when uh, Chris Peterson got here, Brandon Lewis, you made that comparison. I did. And, and yeah, that, that, that's what this all boils down to, frankly. It's, it's just simply how, um, how strong will he be able to stay and, and how healthy will he be able to stay? Because I think he's shown on tape that, Everything else being equal, he was a guy that would have gotten a ton of Pac-12 offers and interest um, if he had been able to stay healthy uh, back in 2019. Because if there's a there's never a good time to get hurt, right, guys? I mean, there just isn't. But if if you are a prospect and you're coming into your prime, and and when is the one time where you need to be around to go to camps and do all those other things when the college coaches are paying the most attention to you? It's between your junior and senior year, although now it's getting to be even earlier and earlier. This kid, I mean, it couldn't have happened at a worse time. And then you add the pandemic to it, just exacerbates the problem, as Scott mentioned. You know, I don't think it was a case of him not being on the radar. I think it's a case of there were a lot of coaches out there that kind of kept him in the Rolodex, so to speak, pending, you know, him getting back to full health. And then him just and then all of a sudden he's just if you're out of sight, you're out of mind. Right. And he's not playing. He can't do anything. And then there's no games being played. All these things that Scott laid out are 100 percent correct. And so this guy, to me, he was packed all material all the way. It was just simply a matter of him being able to get out there now and show everyone that he's back to 100 percent fitness. And if you can go back and, and you're running at those times, like you, you mentioned, the 10, 7, 8, Scott, I mean, if you can run that, I don't know how I don't know how fast he was a couple of years ago. I think he was right around the 11 mark, maybe 10.99. If you can do that coming off a, a major injury and also not having any competition due to the pandemic, that's saying something to me. Um, that tells me a little bit about his competitive nature. And then obviously with Washington keeping tabs on him, they clearly knew this was a kid that they that they could take advantage of if the situation really presented itself. I would mention also really quickly, Kim, this reminds me a little bit of the Miles Bryant situation, although obviously the situation itself is much different. But, yeah, when you talk about a guy that they could have possibly tried to get to walk on initially with the idea is if you can stay healthy, you're absolutely a scholarship guy for us. I mean, that's that's the risk that Miles Bryant took. I'm not saying that's the, the, the risk that a guy like uh, Banks would have taken, but the same thing I think kind of applies in that they felt comfortable enough that if they could get him and convince him to walk on, they felt for sure if he could stay healthy, he was absolutely a guy that could be a difference maker for them. And, and Scott, the coaches are out on the road doing their satellite camps, and it sounds like what they did with this kid was they had him on the radar, and they knew that um, they had this camp coming up, and they invited him to that and that's where they saw him. Talk a little bit about that and just what the coaches are up to right now in recruiting. Well, yeah, I mean, you basically laid it right out. They basically said, hey, we're going to be up at the University of Redlands. We'd like you to come and and work out for us in person so we can get a look at you and see, see you run around and move and how you're doing and everything like that. And 
That's why he got the offer was he confirmed everything that they had seen on his, <clears throat> excuse me, senior film and what he looked like as a sophomore. He looked like the same player to them. That's why they made him an offer. As far as what the coaches are doing right now, um, I think there's a Texas, I, I, unfortunately I don't have a list of the, I, I'd been making a list and I can't find my list of the, where the, all the different camps were, but I know Washington was at the, uh, Sacramento State camp earlier this week and it was a three day camp. So they, there might be still one or two coaches there. I know there's one down in Southern California. There's one in Arizona. There's one in Utah and there's one in Texas that Washington was planning to hit. So you're going to see Washington's name. Uh, I, I think fans of the recruiting process and everything will see a lot of, I don't want to say a lot, but you're going to see an uptick in offers starting to go out, especially for 2023 kids, but even some 2022 kids that might surprise you uh, that Washington has had their eye on and wanted to get a look at before they, they offered him in person. And while we were on the uh, start of the podcast, um, just following up with JT Tuomalau, he just finished his trip at USC. And uh, while we just started the podcast, Brandon Huffman posted a story. You can find it now on our front page. But uh, JT, of course, took his Washington visit, went really well. He was at USC, just got finished with that. Where's he off to next, Scott? I believe it's Ohio State this weekend. I think it's Oregon. The the I think he flies. He might actually just fly directly from Ohio State to Oregon because I know it's like the next day. But he might fly home, get a change of clothes, freshen up a little bit, and then and then fly down. So I don't know exactly how he's doing that, but that's how it's working. And then Alabama will be the last weekend of the month, which is um, which is the same weekend that Washington's having their big recruiting weekend. Yeah, Scott, you know, I thought that it was a really good move by Washington. You know, a lot of people were saying, let's get him in last. You know, it's always best to have the last visit. I've just got this gut feeling by being first, and then by the time he has done with all of his visits, he's going to be pretty burnt out on yep. visits. Yep. But being that he's a local guy, they may be able to get him up on campus again one more time when all is said and done. Yeah, because – um there's still what three or four days after I think it's three days after um the last visit where they could actually have him come over for an unofficial visit. So um yeah, it will be real real interesting. Something to keep an eye on, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Anything else to update on uh recruiting, Scott? You know, there's five visitors coming in. We've kind of ran through them before. Ben Morrison is was added just since our last podcast. Ben Morrison, the four-star cornerback out of Arizona, was added to the list. So Washington currently has five guys coming in. That'll be Ryan Otten, tight end out of Tumwater. Emeka Megwa, a running back out of Texas. Um, Teverua Tafiti, the linebacker out of Hawaii, the number one player in Hawaii, I believe. And Ben Roberts, the defensive tackle out of Utah. And I think Washington's got a great chance to reel in all five of those prospects before it's all said and done. Just real quick, how many how many commits do they have so far in the twenty two? Kim, why do you do this? Uh, I believe it's five. It might be six. I don't remember it off the top of my head. I hate it when you do this to me. That's well, why I mean, there's six. There's six That's of why them. I do it. So if they get those five, then you're talking about six, maybe seven at the most uh, commits left uh, that they that they can get. Okay, so the number we're working on is 15? 17. 17. Because if you get five, that makes it 11. So six <laughs> would be 17. Okay. Uh, anything else we need to touch bases with on recruiting, Scott? Nothing right now. Um, you know, the, the coaches are going to 
you know, so they're going to go through this month. They're going to have their unofficial visitors. They're going to have their official visitors and all that. And then after all those are done, the coaches are probably going to take a week, maybe two weeks off. Um, get, you know, just get some rest because basically it's a grind from late July all the way through the end of, uh, or probably, well, actually, if you talk middle of June, well, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if you're talking recruiting in, in, in there as well, you're talking first week of, uh, February that they are just grinding, um, whether it's coaching and recruiting or just recruiting. So, you know, that's a long grind for those guys and, and a lot of stuff that they have to get done. They have to start working on their 2024 and 2025 lists, narrowing those down, getting those shaped up and everything. So a lot of stuff still going on behind the scenes, but I think the coach is going to take some time off, uh, get refreshed and be ready to go for the grind that starts. Um, we've got our kickoff countdown, but I think, uh, fall camp begins in what is it? 13, 31, 43, 40, 49 days is when fall camp starts. So yeah. it's going to be crazy. All right. Uh, Chris, anything else we need to touch bases on? Um, the only thing I'm kind of curious about is that obviously everyone got acquainted with, uh, with Devon Banks yesterday, but I think they need to also kind of equate themselves with the idea that this process could produce more Devon Banks type players. Um, especially for the 2022 class, it might spill over a little bit into 2023, but the guys who are going into their senior seasons this fall, they're the ones that have to be going to these camps. And these are guys that the coaches have probably tried to keep in touch with as much as they could. But obviously there's no film for a lot of these guys because they, you know, they may have played some spring football, especially like the California kids. They may have played a few games here or there. But, you know, this is a situation I think is really starting to develop. And I wonder how much it's really going to impact the 2022 class. And so even though Scott, as he rightly said, they're going to be working and operating with a, um, a group of about 17, uh, commits, give or take whatever attrition happens in the meantime, I think there could be a couple of guys out there that all of a sudden show up again or are guys that kind of come out of nowhere guys that maybe they are just starting to learn about now because of these camps. And then they're like, okay, you know, we're going to, we're going to put you on this list where we're going to, we're going to pay attention and we're going to try to follow you as much as we can and see what you do from here on out. Because I bet you there's some real gems out there and guys that probably no one knew about because they simply hadn't played at all. They hadn't gotten the exposure or in the case of a guy like Banks, he just simply got hurt at the wrong time in the process. So um, I just think it's going to be really interesting to follow and see how um, some of those guys kind of emerge uh, as part of the 2022 class. And, you know, maybe see if, if there's some real gems and guys that uh, guys like Brandon Huffman, Blair Angulo, Greg Biggins, all these guys also start to um, get in touch with and and re-rank and rate. All that stuff that goes and on. And Chris, I mean, one of the other things to, to think about too is as you're talking about the positive side of things where these kids go overlooked because they weren't able to get out and do camps, how many kids are going to, um, end up in the transfer portal because they never got to see the school that they ended up signing with yeah. in person. And then they're like, whoa, this is not what I signed up for. I'm going to get in the, the transfer portal very quickly, whether it's, 
even before. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see some before fall camps even starts. But well, the, yeah, the pandemic's going to have uh, so many unintended yeah. consequences. And, and then this is yeah, part of it. Yeah, and then the other one is how many kids went. And I am not putting this on Greg or Brandon or Blair or any any other people, whether it's our network or other networks, who miss on guys that they think looked really good, but they just didn't get to see enough of them, so they left them where they were star wise. And yeah. and Scott, I think know. that's an important point. Just that, you know, the evaluations that are being done right now are so much different than the evaluations that will be done this upcoming year and in previous years where you're going to have, and I, I know you've got a couple guys that you're keeping an eye on whose stock will plummet, and you're going to have some guys really blow up because they will actually get the chance to look at game film, which they just haven't been able to do. So, you know, when you take a look at the rankings, be a little bit more curious on what's going to happen to these guys once we start getting game film. And the other unintended consequence out of a lot of this stuff is you're seeing the coaches go to all these camps. We mentioned like the Redwoods camp or Redlands camp. We mentioned the Sacks, uh, Sacramento State camp and these camps in Texas and Arizona and all these places. The other thing is these camps are huge now. I mean, for instance, let's say Sacramento State. That That's a three- or four-day camp now. I'm not saying it wasn't small to begin with. There were probably seven, eight, nine hundred kids probably within that full camp for, you know, the last few years. That camp probably now has two or three times that. And so for a full staff who is there, like Washington, for instance, it's one thing to have seven or eight coaches that are out there coaching and have kind of their evaluation hats on at the same time they're coaching these kids. You're looking at the scout guys or the 24-7 guys or the rivals guys, ESPN guys. There might be one or two guys that go to those camps that are supposed to eva- or look and evaluate two or 3,000 kids. Try again. That's impossible. And I can say it from firsthand experience. I remember some of these camps at Starfire, for instance, in Tukwila, where it was just one or two of us that were going out and trying to watch six or 700 kids for like two or three hours. It does, it doesn't work. And so it's very hard to get really good firsthand analysis because you're out there spending 30 seconds on a kid. It's very, very tough to do. Especially when they put numbers on a kid and you're looking down the roster and trying to find a kid and then they've got the wrong numbers on the kids because they screwed up. Or, yeah, or there's that, just or so many him, and there's so many that alphabetical. Walk yeah, there's so many that walk up that you just can't, you can't make, you can't make heads or tails of them. Or have their numbers ripped off. Well, for instance, there are these guys that show up and they're six five and three hundred pounds, and they look incredible on the hoof. And you're like, "Well, I got to follow that guy." And then you watch him for ten seconds, realize that he's probably built for Weber State instead of Washington State, and and you just you're just making literally just making snap decisions because you've got hundreds of guys that you've got to watch. My favorite was I was looking at a guy and big, huge, athletic guy. Looked like a big offensive lineman, obviously well over 300 pounds. I looked down at the roster and look at the number and it said Jerry Neuheisel. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 But anyways, uh, just wrap this up real quick, guys. Anything else you want to add real quick before we wrap this up? Not nothing from me. You know, uh, recruiting is going to kick in here over the next 13 days. Then it's going to take a little bit of uh, some time off, about a two month break. And then starting September 1st, man, things are going to pick right back up. Hey, Scott, I was real quick. Do you, do you think there's going to be, I know Washington really has never done this before. I know that, um, they did it with Tate Martell one time when they had the seventh grader and all that stuff and he committed way early. But do you think there's a chance that Washington could pick up a 2023 kid this summer? 
Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if Micah Banuelos, the offensive lineman from Kennedy, uh, commits to Washington pretty quickly. Wouldn't surprise me. I don't think it's going to happen, but it wouldn't surprise me if it did. Uh, trying to think off the top of my head, man, Jason Brown, the 2024 running back from uh, O'Day, I think is basically, I don't know what he's going to wait for other than he probably wants to go through the process a little bit. But, I mean, he's nobody that I've talked to thinks he's going anywhere but Washington. So, um, you know, wouldn't surprise me if they got an underclassman, a guy who is going to be a junior or sophomore this year. But I think I think we're probably going to need to wait until the fall or or even after, maybe during during winter for that. Just a quick note. This time of year, it, it's not a lot going on. It just seems like there's either a lot going on or nothing going on. So it's a little bit of a roller coaster for us. Time of year where not only the coaches try to take a little bit of time off, but uh, we do as well. Uh, Chris has got his soccer stuff. Scott's got his uh, got little hoodlum kids that run him ragged. But Yes, uh, they do. <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to play as much golf as I can. And, hey, just a plug real quick for probably one of the really cool tournaments. If uh, you guys are any golfers out there, um, I talked to Dog News yesterday. And the Walla Walla Golf Tournament's a senior tournament. You have to be 50 and over. Uh, that is going to be July 14th uh, through the 17th. Great tournament. Uh, you get a practice round on Wednesday, three days of competition, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, lunches are fabulous. Dinners are even better. Dinner for two, just, uh, you know, pasta night, seafood night, beef night, and they really, really take care of you really well. It's at the Walla Walla Golf and Country Club. Um, all of that, four rounds of golf, three competition, three lunches, and dinner for two for three nights, all for the I don't know how they do it for 495, 495 bucks. I'll be there. Um, there's always a couple of Dogman subscribers over there and, uh, Dog News is always over there as well. So if any of you guys are looking to do that, just shoot me a note and I'll shoot you the information. Kim G at dogman.com and I'll shoot you the information, but just a great tournament would it'd be really cool if we could get a couple of you guys over there to play as well. And, uh, it's funny, I asked the gal on the staff if uh, having all the guys over from the um, west side of the mountain was difficult and a pain in the butt for them to deal with, and she kind of laughed at me. She goes, you guys from Seattle tip a lot better than the locals. So, anyways, they're always glad to see us uh, come over there. So, just shoot me a note again, Husky, uh, you know, Kim G at dogman.com, and uh, I'll send you the information. And if you're looking for the daily updates as well as breaking news alerts, Shoot me a note at huskystadium at gmail.com and uh, we will uh, hook you up on that subject line newsletter and that, by the way. So for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grinalds along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs.